Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. Uh, with me again this week, we've got Doug Zanger, a senior editor with me on the creative beat. How's it going, Doug? Hi, hi. It's going good. And I'm actually in our uh, Hell's Kitchen headquarters, which I should mention, we are sadly departing after several years uh, we uh, we were in the East Village before. We're staying in Manhattan. Adweek is moving over to Madison Avenue, which I think may actually be the first time uh, Adweek in our storied history has been on Madison Avenue. So I don't know if it's quite the hotbed of advertising that it once was. but <laughs> So it's nice to be in here, but it's eerily empty as we like pack up and get ready <laughs> to leave. Um, but we've got AJ Katz, staff writer, covers the TV beat for us. AJ, it's great to have you back on. It's good to be here. Thank you. And first time... On the show, Kamika McCoy, our social media editor. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. You've been here, what, a month or more now? No, a month a month and some change. Um, I am originally from Atlanta, so this cold weather is definitely something new for me. Um, it's, it's like not cold. You know this from coming from Atlanta, this is like anything below oh, nothing. <laughs> anything below <laughs> 70 is a little brisk. You're like, oh, I had to put on a sweater. <laughs> That's exactly the type of person that we are down there in, in, in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, I came from a journalism. I was a feature writer, um, went to being a beat writer for the city of Marietta down in Atlanta, um, and then kind of made a uh, made a fit about digital, and they gave me the opportunity to be a digital social media editor. So I've been that ever since. Nice. And so Kamiko will be running our, and is running our social media channels, which have changed a lot. So uh, as, as I think I mentioned on the, this podcast, uh, that was my first full-time job uh, with Adweek. And uh, so look at all the heights you can accomplish. <laughs> you can move to the other. You'll have your own podcast. <laughs> so every, everyone laughs whenever I say that. No, it's, uh, but no, it was a, it's a super fun job. But it, man, it's changed. Like when I was doing it, it was all Twitter and all Facebook. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. We actually, we literally had blogs called all Twitter and all, all Facebook <laughs> now that I think that's about right. it, um, which are now Social Pro Daily. We, we merged all those into one social media blog. Uh, but yeah, now I, I feel like we do... I mean, we still do those, mm-hmm. um, but now, I mean, you're also dealing with uh, Instagram a lot. Yeah. Flipboard. Yep. A few other new, it, what else? Any other sites that have kind of? Um, delving into Reddit, um, LinkedIn has turned off to, turned out to be a, a huge investment with a huge return on the investment as well. So definitely want to delve into that. Um, crazy yeah. how it's reached beyond Facebook and Twitter, for sure. Yeah, like those dials have gotten turned down quite a bit. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, man, LinkedIn, whew. We got a lot of eyeballs from LinkedIn. So anyway, uh, fun little update on Stephanie. It's great to have you. 
Thanks. All right. So today we've got some news to cover, and then we're going to jump to it. We're going to do something a little different since it's almost Halloween. Instead of our usual ads worth watching, we're going to talk about our favorite Halloween ads. Uh, there's some that have come out this year, some that aren't bad, uh, but uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorites from the past, and we're going to talk about our city spotlight. Uh, as some of you uh, know who follow Adweek or this podcast, we try every few months to feature a different uh, city, a market that's outside of New York and L.A., and uh, this week we've got uh, Seattle. And so we're going to be talking, Doug has uh, led that project. We're going to talk about some of the cool folks that we uh, profiled in Seattle and brands and trends that we're seeing there. But first, let's talk about the news. All right, AJ, we're going to lean real hard on you here. Because, right. uh, like, <laughs> that's I, okay. It is this, a crazy time. This is one of those stories where I, because I don't really watch uh, network, like live TV, generally, mm-hmm. I don't really watch a lot of live news. You are not alone, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, so we're talking about Megan Kelly. Um, first, let's, before we get to the, all the different things that have happened with her lately, why does she matter so much? Why is she of all the, of all the TV personalities? Why is she such a big deal? You know, for her, it's, it's sort of tough. It's tough to put her in a box. Um, you know, she, she has strong opinions. She considers herself an independent yet. She's also center right. This is what she's told me on the record. Um, so, you know, she's not a traditional news reader and news anchor, but she's also not a traditional opinion host. So she's always sort of been a little bit of an in-betweener. She's unbelievably smart. She's a former prosecutor. She has a, an interesting background in that regard. Um, you know, and I think with her, the reason NBC took a gamble on her is because she had the number one show on cable news among viewers 25 to 54 for a long time. Um, what we're finding out now, unfortunately, is it looks like her numbers were helped by Bill O'Reilly for a long time. Um, so it doesn't seem like her Fox News audience has really moved over to NBC, at least in terms of the um, in terms of the morning show. So, um, you know, for her, she's she's a powerful personality. She's polarizing. Um, you know, she'll say some things that'll make you cringe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, last Tuesday, case in point, which I know we'll discuss shortly. Um, but you know, she's super smart, super witty. Brings a lot to the table, and she's sort of outside the box. Not your typical opinion host, but also not a newsreader. Um, she's not nice all the time. But when you know, I've interviewed her in person or on the phone, you meet her in person, you, you feel her. She has that star quality to her, um, and she's super compelling in that regard. Yeah, so it seemed like not only was she a bit of a, a talent acquisition for NBC, but also kind of an acknowledgement by NBC that that the way we think of news and TV personalities was changing, mm-hmm. that a lot of that was being driven by Fox, um, and that they were kind of, you know, this was about a little over a year. This is the beginning of last year, right? Yeah, I mean, she, uh, she left Fox News January 2017, um, and she started at NBC her first day was May 1st, 2017. Um, and a few weeks after her start date, she was essentially featured for the um, NBCU Upfronts presentation, which was about three weeks later. Um, Meaning she was like their star. That they she were she was like their star. I mean, she came on with Lester Holt and Savannah and the whole and Chuck Todd, the whole the whole crew, as well as you know folks from the other networks. Um, and ironically, Matt Lauer of all people, yeah. um, you know, he was the one who sort of he gave her the strongest compliment on stage, essentially saying, "I think I have it here somewhere." Um, Megyn Kelly is someone who shares our values and will help to make us even better tomorrow. 
Um, so that was uh, sort of extraordinary seeing what happened to Matt. Uh, not long after. Not right? long after, about yeah. six months after. Um, I think it was November 27th was the day mm-hmm. that uh, they finally got rid of him. I don't recall that day at all, obviously. Yeah. So it's easy to jump around chronologically here, but we should catch up. So so the news here, where, where we stand, we're recording this on Monday, and mm-hmm. there's likely to be some more news coming out pretty soon. Yes. Uh, but where we stand now, her morning show has mm-hmm. been canceled? The morning show has been canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened a few days ago. Um it was interesting. So she made the uh, controversial remarks on her Tuesday morning program um, that went viral. Uh, she ended up having to make a statement her and her spokespeople later that day. She went on air on Wednesday morning, um, you know, give a pretty lengthy apology that got a two minute standing ovation from her audience, believe it or not. Um, you know, and look, it, it came off as sincere to me. Obviously, um, it was too little, too late, and she has a history of saying these types of explosive things. You know, she likes to think of herself as someone who's not PC, which to a lot of people is sort of just an excuse of, you know, I can be an a-hole if I want. Um, you know, and that's the excuse she pulls. Um, but so, yeah, so the apology took place on Wednesday. Um, a couple of days later, NBC News put out a statement saying the program will be the 9 a.m. program will be canceled. Um, that, that this seems weird to me. Like that, someone being fired—that's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. But like, well, she has not been fired. Yet. Exactly. That's, yeah. that, that's what I mean. It's like normally, okay. So you think about something like Roseanne. Roseanne mm-hmm. gets gets fired, and they bring back the Connors without her. It almost seems like shows have more longevity than the people. Balding, I know she, but it's so, I've never heard of this where it's like, she said something really dumb. So we're canceling the show, Mm -hmm. but we're not commenting yet. Is this just like waiting for the other shoe to fall and they're dealing with some legal stuff? I I, I think it's legal stuff. I think that, you know, yeah, I think that's exactly what it comes down to. You know, they've wanted to, you know, what she wanted when she first came to NBC, she wanted to be thought of as more than like an opinion host. She wanted to be a hard newswoman. Part of the deal was that she would, um, help lead the midterms coverage. Um, and ironically, that's next Tuesday, and she probably won't be leading the midterms coverage, which I know she's going to be very upset about. But, you know, um, so, you know, she wanted to move more into politics um, a bit. And, and yeah, no, it definitely is out of the ordinary. I don't know where she'll end up next to answer. I'm sure it's going to be a future question. Um, she can't stay at NBC News. There's not really a spot for her. They tried the Sunday News Magazine, um, which in theory was a nice idea. It was going up against reruns of 60 Minutes, and it still got blown out of the water. So, you know, so it didn't, you know, it was just going she also, out. This yeah. is where she interviewed Alex Jones. Correct. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it was sort of interesting. So the premiere, um, it, it was a great get with uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, and oh, she actually, right. you know, for, I totally yeah, forgot about the you know, Putin. And she beat CBS and Charlie Rose to that. Talk about another class act. Um, so she actually beat Charlie Rose to getting to Vladimir Putin first. Um, which is something a lot of folks outside of the beat don't necessarily know. Um, so that was the premiere episode, which actually did quite well on the rating standpoint. Um, and then the Alex Jones thing happened. And it's interesting, talking to a lot of other TV news journalists, they didn't think the idea was bad of interviewing him because he is a he's a newsworthy figure. He's a provocative figure. He's an awful human being, but he is he, at the time he was in the news. Um, they just felt that it was marketed poorly. Um, and so I think. Well, there's weird stuff like that photo of the two of them, sort like of hanging grinning. out in the car, rock, yeah. That went. That was everywhere, yeah, and yeah. it just made it look like, oh, my buddy, right. my buddy Alex Jones, it who thinks children aren't murdered in schools. Yeah. It, w- it wasn't a good look, and like you had, you know, I think there was a um, a local 
NBC affiliate in Connecticut, where you know Sandy Hook is, um, refused to actually air the broadcast. Um, and then you had, I think, J.P. Morgan Chase and a few other um, advertisers who sponsored, you know, were uh, sponsors on the program, decided that they were going to drop off as a result. So I think the the controversy sort of starts there, and it snowballed a bit. Um, and that was another reason why that program struggled. And then it snowballed to the 9 a.m. hour with her. And it was just, you know, that's not her format. She's hard-charging. She's a prosecutor. You know, she would do solid hard news for 30 minutes and then she'd go into you know like makeup segments for the last 20 minutes and that's that's not megan kelly uh, get get the crowd dancing get the crowd dancing you know <laughs> get hoda and kathy leon trying to drink, drink champagne and do all that fun shit um well let, let's so let's uh let's talk about and, and get deeper on what specifically happened here yeah. so she was in a group conversation about blackface uh, essentially makeup of painting your kids faces uh, to to play, were they even tied? Does anyone know the context of how this came up? Like, yes. Yeah, so, so what happened was, um, you know, it was it was about PC. Um, I, I guess what happened was a couple colleges were sort of um, cracking down on students wearing inappropriate costumes. You know, what's inappropriate? What's not? Should colleges be doing this? Should they be enforcing what their students wear, what they don't wear? Um, and I think one example that uh, Megan Kelly brought up was. Um, I guess I think it was a character on The Real Housewives of New York was dressing up as Diana Ross. This was a white woman um, and she was making herself look darker. And Megan wanted to know what was wrong with that. It was Halloween. You know, why is that a big deal? Can't people do that? You know, back when I grew up, that's not a big deal. Yeah. So, blah, so blah, let, blah. let me read the, the exact quote here. Yeah. She said, uh, Megan Kelly said, but what is racist? Because you, right. you do get in trouble if you're a white person who puts on blackface on Halloween. She's correct there. I should correct. Yeah. That, <laughs> yes. Yes. With her so far. Um, or a black person who puts on white face for Halloween. Can't say I've heard of that one. Yeah, but that's okay. a new one. Okay. Um, back, back when I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressing up as like a character. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess I'm older than Megan Kelly, uh, which is something I've heard several people bring up. Like, hmm, I think she's hmm. uh, 47, I believe. Okay, so she's a little bit older than me, but I'm still. I, I, you're, be, you're, I bet she's wrong. Yeah. I feel pretty good that she's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that it was that, it, that in in the that like post Al Jolson, you know, not not cool. Um, so, Kamiko, tell me about when when you saw this first blowing up. I feel like. Like it's almost been like once a year that there's some dumb comment about oh God, what's yeah. wrong with blackface or like uh, you know like why can't my kid be Black Panther? Oh, your kid can be Black Panther. Just, just don't like don't put him in don't blackface. Like, it's I mean it's, it's really easy um, to not. Um, <laughs> it's so easy. I've managed to never do it. <laughs> like I think a lot of people have gone their entire lives without um, having done that. But um, I think when she posed the question, it's almost like sometimes there's a, a lack of understanding of the history that's behind that with the menstrual shows and things that were like, um, our features were exaggerated oftentimes, um, you know, and things like that. So when you learn the history, that's where you kind of see where the, the back part of it is just like, oh, okay, maybe let's not do that. So I don't know if that's the understanding that she had. And then, you know, the back in my day, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happened historically that I don't know if it was like a good thing. Well, this comes up every few years in advertising, in global advertising, mm -hmm. almost never in America that I can remember, but someone, often it's like Germany, yeah. a, an ad will run with a kid in like blackface 
dressed as like an African warrior or something. And I mean, I've been covering advertising for about 11, 12 years and, and it's come up, you know, every once in a while and it gets a lot of people angry, usually in America. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is that like, I don't know if minstrel show culture was a thing outside of America, but for us, it's a highly specific and, yeah. and you and I are both from the South. And so maybe we're a little more exposed to it. Um, but it's, you know, it's something where I am willing to understand if it's from a, co- a completely different culture where they just don't have this as a point of cultural reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but in this, and it seemed like a, a lot of folks noted that this was an all-white group that was sitting around talking about this on national television. And so it's like I have a good friend who every year he posts the exact like same – uh, kind of exhausted post on social media where he's like talking about whether it's Black Panther or whatever character. He's like, several people have asked me, and yes, it is okay. <laughs> like as if he's like the permission giver. But I mean, I think that's a good point. That is just that when you know, to be blunt, when white people have like a black friend, they can at least turn to them and get that bounce that off of them. Because yeah, like mm-hmm. my kids love any hero. They don't look pay attention to what race they are. And if they were like, I want to be, you know, Black Panther, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Good to the outfit. Um, but so I get it that they want to check the sensitivity, but this kind of obviously tipped over. So AJ, kind of give us the like how quickly this, and that, because again, to your point, this isn't the first thing she said. Mm-hmm. Like in the past, she's made I think you said earlier cringeworthy kind of comments. That's that's a good that's, description. Yeah, that's probably the, I mean, you know, there's the, obviously the notorious Santa Claus is white comment from back in 2013, you know. And Jesus. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes. Um, but, you know, I mean, look, and she would just make strange comments on her Fox News 9 p.m. program all the time. That didn't necessarily go viral. Um, she, she made that one comment about Will and Grace, like, making a fan gay. That was, I think, the uh, series premiere of uh, Making Kelly Today. So, yeah. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so, so that was a heck of a way to start. Jeez. Um, <laughs> can't hear wrong. Um, and then I think the second episode where she had uh, Jane Fonda on, and she asked Jane Fonda about plastic, plastic surgery, surgery and yeah. that, you know, you look great for, you know, an 80-year-old woman. You know, you know, what do you think of plastic surgery? And it was just sort of, you know, you're, you're two episodes in. You're already sort of um, under fire going from cable to broadcast um, in general. You know, and, and the interesting thing is um, the 9 a.m. program that, uh, you know, Savannah, let the 7 to 9 a.m., you know, the flagship lead-in, um, it was called... Today's Take, um, and it was hosted by Al Roker, Chanel Jones, and Dylan Dreyer, and it was super popular. Um, and that was taken off the air as a result of making coming on board. Um, and then Tamron Hall was also more or less a casualty of making coming on board. And Tamron Hall was extremely popular at NBC News and at MSNBC as well. So I think you combine those uh, factors, and you, you know you're playing with fire a bit. And they took a big risk with her, um, you know. And look, people thought the show won an Emmy or didn't win an Emmy. It was nominated for an Emmy, so you know it wasn't a total disaster in that regard. Um, there were some good interviews. There were some good Me Too movement related things. Um, she was not afraid to go after her own network, and I think that gets lost in some of this. Is she made comments, um, you know, it, not long after the Matt Lauer internal investigation, saying, well. You know, in my experience, women prefer when an outside investigation uh, takes place as, as opposed to an internal investigation. And I'm sure that did not go over quite well with the uh, powers that be. So, um, you know, to her credit, some of some of what the program accomplished was good. 
and um, there was some ratings growth. People like to talk about how the ratings struggled, and that's true, but um, in the summer there was a little bit of ratings growth, so there seemed to be a little bit of momentum, but um, I think the controversial remarks and sort of nature um, was sort of a bit too much for uh, a broadcast network like an NBC to handle, um, especially in this day and age. Um, and uh, they are cutting ties with her. It's not official yet. Um, my guess is that it will be done by close of business tomorrow. Um, you know, as we said, the program, the 9 a.m. Megyn Kelly Today program is already cut. Um, it looks like for the time being, they're going to have sort of a rotating um, slew of anchors host that 9 a.m. hour. Uh, this morning, for instance, they just did an, an extension of the usual 7 to 9 a.m. flagship uh, two-hour program of today. So um, and I think they'll do that for the rest of the week. Um, and I also think it helps that there is the Pittsburgh peg. So you have more hard news to talk about during that 9 a.m. hour going into um, Kathy Lee and Hoda getting drunk off champagne at 10 a.m. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, I think they're going to try to figure out it's going to take a little while. Um, my guess is that they won't have anything finalized for that hour until maybe through the holidays. Mm -hmm. They're kind of just going to sort of, you know, see where it goes th through the midterms. But, um, you know, it's it's definitely a, a significant moment in, in the TV news industry. I don't know what's next for her because Fox has said on the record that, um, they're very satisfied with their current lineup. Meaning like she burnt her bridges. Meaning that she burnt her bridges. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and um, and they have reason to be. It's whatever you think of them. Uh, it is unbelievably successful. They're up double digits year over year. They are by far the most watched network on cable television, and it's not particularly close. They have an unbelievably devoted fan base. Um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it for them. So I, I get where they're coming from in that regard. Uh, I don't know what's next for her. She'll be okay. Um, you know, I don't know if she, she'll she be signed six, a what was sixty-nine three, million. She, she, she signed a three-year, sixty-nine million dollar contract uh, about a, a year and a half ago. So, um, but I mean, you, you have to you have to think that like I don't know how many how many potential employers out there have sixty-nine million to spend on somebody. Mm -hmm. If they do, uh, let me lo drop my email in here real quick. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, David yeah, exactly. Dodd Um But I mean, like. Now she seems like such a riskier investment, right? Like right. the last place you were at, you lasted a year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. Um, and uh, well, so it, thank you for helping recap that. Definitely keep an eye on uh, AJ runs uh, our TV Newser blog uh, with some of our colleagues here, and uh, definitely check that out if if you're into these kinds of stories. You'd love TV Newser. That's pretty much it. It is a very it's a very <laughs> exciting time if you are a uh, a cable or broadcast news buff. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. We cover everything you can think of in that in that space. So. Do you do you want to know a fun fact I would love to, about yeah. yourself? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you know this. I haven't I don't think I've told you. <laughs> sure, uh, AJ is the number one most read writer on Adweek uh, in 2018. You know what? Actually, I think our uh, Head of sales, Rob, he told me that uh, a couple of days ago yeah. in the elevator. So, you know. Nice. I mentioned it to some of the leadership. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Next time I uh, speak with my superiors, I will uh, have that fact in hand. Yeah. Let's, let's put it that way. Well, I'll, I'll just say that not not to imply that it doesn't have everything to do with your talent as a writer. Uh, but, man, just news. Like, TV Newser has been around for years. It's always been a real workhorse of covering this industry. But until 2016... The mainstream, like the mass numbers of people, just weren't 
caring. It yep. was an industry blog. We also have TV Spy, which is a local news blog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who read that are just people who are really into local news as an industry. Um, but, man, TV news are last two years, it's just been like anything about Fox News ratings, yep. anything about like these personalities that we're talking about, when yep. they move around, when they go places, those are now big national stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and look, o- over the years, we've uh, gained enough access, um, you know, through these public relations folks, but I, you know, we know most of the talent at this point, and they're comfortable with speaking with us. Um, you know, they know we're going to be tough, but we they know we're going to be fair. And, you know, it's, at this point, it's, they feel comfortable speaking with us and it's nice to have the uh, access to talk to them especially in this day and age when people want to know about you know what's going on in the news industry yeah i think one thing i really appreciate about your your team and tv newser is that it's a great place to get this information because everywhere else you would get it is going to come at it with a very specific who I love or who I hate. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. Fox News, if the ratings are up, someone's either going to be loving it because they love Fox News or hating it because they hate Fox News. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like what I love about TV Newser is you guys give that data and there's great context of the people and the networks and whatever involved, but, uh, you know, I never – there's none of this like uh, this bile that you're going to get for (laughs) – CNN or for whatever it's right. it's just nice it's a nice place where to to read about media stuff without feeling like someone's going to be screaming it at you at the top of their lungs we, so, you know yeah we uh it's sometimes it's hard to stay uh, objective and neutral but you know <laughs> that's that's our job so yeah all right well uh we have filled up the news segment so let's move <laughs> on enough. to uh let's lighten things up and talk about <laughs> Halloween ads worth watching All right. I love, well, I love Halloween. Let me just start there. My mother-in-law is a costume designer, which nice. let me tell you, if you, oh. have a good Halloween. if you want to have a great uh, Halloween every year, she's also a prop designer and a set designer. Uh, so, you know, we are always knocking out some amazing costumes. So I love it on a personal level and as a parent. But the thing I've noticed recently is that Halloween ads have really changed in recent years. They used to be silly you know, M&M's or Skittles, and it's like, oh, it's it's not creepy. It was like Count Chocula creepy, like, you know, <laughs> like that level of, of, of like, oh, here's a spooky, here's a bat, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> no. and, then, and then, like, now there's some legitimately spooky ads. There's some legitimately great ads that have been coming up. And so we've been seeing this. Uh, well, I'll give my example in a minute. From 2010 was the first time I remember seeing a, a Halloween ad that I absolutely loved. Um, but uh, so I just wanted to talk about some of our favorites. Uh, Kamiko, you have not been, you came from a non advertising publication. I did. Uh, so just as a human being who's been consuming like TV and everything else for, for your life, what Halloween ads come to mind for you? The ones that have always stuck out in my memory are the Eminem ones. Um, I don't know how those little guys have remained so prevalent and so well-known all these years, but um, there's one ad where they actually go to this Halloween party, and the guy that opens the door, he's like, oh, my God, these are such cute kids. You know, here's some candy. And they're like, no, we're 46. Like, we want to come to the party. That was my story. We're here to come to the party. It was a super cute, well-done ad. We're here to drink. And they thought they were kids and just kind of shoot them away. But, yeah, I think that's probably one of the ads that I enjoyed the most. It's, it's, it's a good chuckle. 
Isn't there some creepy one where one of them gets like eaten? Maybe that's not even a Halloween <laughs> as just someone like bites them in the dark. When they or or introduced the orange one, I can't remember his name. Um, but like the red one's like saws open the top of his. Yeah, that's the, gl- that's the glow in the dark one. That's where he the puts a bunch of glow. Yeah, yeah he, he like carves a uh, jack o' lantern poorly into the back of this poor the guy. Very- he throws a bunch of. Uh, Glow in the dark. Glow in the dark. In there, yeah. Bada bing, bada boom. There you go. The uh, w- one of them is uh, is uh, the pre- this isn't a Halloween ad, but it's it's cracks me up anyway. Is the um, pretzel M and M's when they debuted those? There was the animation was <laughs> like they've got a pretzel and they've got this poor little M and M guy and the, the pretzel's like the size of him and then like it goes dark and then it's inside of him. <laughs> And he's like got this look on his face, like oh, oh. Uh, that's and I'm just like, man, <laughs> this is a little rougher than what I had remembered. I know. I was like, right. this should be a Halloween ad. <laughs> I love it. God, that poor. And then I eat, I eat a lot of those things. <laughs> those, those poor guys. Oh my um, gosh. So let me tell you about my personal favorite, Doug. Do you remember this one, the Snickers one? Oh, I love this one. Yeah, <laughs> the 20, 2010 BBDO New York, which has done most of all the Snickers. Any think of a Snickers ad that's. I don't know how far back they go, but unless you're talking like '80s Daryl Hannah uh, brushing a horse, like the uh, the the more modern Snickers ads are, are uh, BBDO New York, and the one for Halloween that stand that sticks with me, we'll listen to a little bit of it. Is uh, a woman is going through the grocery store. I think it's officially called Grocery Store Lady. Oh my god! Yes. she's going. She's going through a grocery store and sees this terrifying, like eight foot tall <laughs> woman with a rubber face. <laughs> Telling her that she needs to buy more Snickers. <laughs> so let's let's listen to the dialogue of Grocery Store Lady. This is from 20, 2010. Hello, Mrs. Jensen. You don't have any Snickers in your shopping cart. The neighborhood kids love Snickers on Halloween. Let me help you. Oh, uh. I'm only helping Snickers. We're definitely going to her house. This Halloween, nothing satisfies like Snickers. <laughs> and so, like, the punchline being that after, like, she, the woman try, finally gets away, because she's, like, trying to escape from this, like, <laughs> long-arm freak show. <laughs> and that's when she's like, I'm just trying to help. <laughs> and, uh, and I like that as she's just dumping bags of Snickers into the woman's cart, she's just yelling, like, Snickers! <laughs> but, um, but at the end... Uh, it, you want a, a kid pokes his head out of the belly, and you realize if you haven't already that it's like two kids on top of each other wearing a long coat, like yeah. a, a classic gag. <laughs> um, and one of them like sticks his head out and says, "Like, oh, we're definitely going to her house." Um, but I love that, like, it's such a simple kind of funny, lighthearted premise of like kids pretend to be someone to get their neighbor to buy more Snickers, but man, they made it just so <laughs> freaky. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> like, like the headlines that came out around that time were all hilarious. They're like nightmare fuel and the scariest ad ever. And it's not like a scary ad, but it is a scary mm-hmm. ad. Very <laughs> AJ, you remember any uh, Halloween ads? I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think any of the M&M ones, um, yeah, I, I think the first one that comes to mind is definitely the Halloween party one. Um, and then that Snickers ad was great. The uh, Doug, you got any uh, obscure 
favorites here? Yeah, from uh, 2013. It's not really one to listen to because it's basically just audio of a terrified woman in a hotel. And it was 2013 booking.com. And the premise behind it was that the company was daring you to stay at seven of America's most haunted hotels. And it was very cool because what I liked about it is they had a bunch of movie posters. So this came from Wyden and Kennedy in Amsterdam and they had movie posters to, to really help pull the concept through. But there were seven hotels, including the Stanley hotel in Estes park, Colorado, which was part of which movie, David Greiner. Uh, that sounds like the shining. Correct. Okay. And then the, <laughs> yes, Ooh. congratulations. Yeah. You win nothing. Um, <laughs> But uh, the ad, uh, the TV spot or the video uh, was the Queen Anne Hotel in San Francisco. And legend has it that in room 410, it's supposedly haunted by the headmistress of a school that used to be housed on the property. So That's uh, like double terrifying. Like a ghost <laughs> is bad enough. Like ghost of a headmistress sounds right, even worse. Right. In a, yeah, in this old stately building in San Francisco. So I, I really liked it. You know, again, the the... T, uh, the TV spot or the video or the film, whatever you want to call it, uh, you, know, you, you really have to watch it. It's not something you can really listen to. But what I, I really liked the posters. I just thought it was a really clever way of pulling the thing through and creating a really nice, just full-on campaign and done very well. Yeah, the, uh, those were those were great. Um, oh, the one. Oh, is this last year? Two years ago? Uh, Scary Clown Night uh, from Burger King. Uh, this one actually ended up winning big at Cannes. Uh, it's a great ad. It's it's spooky. It's like a kid on a bicycle, and he keeps seeing clowns. And it it had just come out. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like it. And so they had already won. Some other Burger King had already uh, made fun of. Like at the end of an it screening, it said the moral of the story is never trust a clown. Eat a Burger King. And um, forget what the what country that was in. Um, but then uh, Lola Molinlo, Spain. Uh, like put out it came up with this idea of scary clown night which is funny because halloween is a very american thing like Mm -hmm. uh it's not celebrated in a ton of other countries and that's changing thanks to the internet and honestly i think because so many people overseas see all these great fun pictures we all post here Mm -hmm. and and really want to start doing more of it but they they came up with this idea of what if we gave a free whopper to everyone who dresses like a clown on halloween and so the creative director um I think it was Pancho Cassis. Uh, he messaged on WhatsApp. I, I've probably told the story on the podcast before, but not to you guys. So I'll tell you again. Um, <laughs> the the creative director uh, messaged the CMO of Burger King, like the global CMO of Burger King, and said, "I've got this idea. We should do this thing." And he was like, "That's great. Let's do it all around the world, like every location." Mm. And so he pitched this basically on October first. So they had one month to build this entire thing, including shooting the ad and all that. And the ad's very creepy. Like the kid on the bike gets to Burger King and then like like a zombie crowd, like all these uh, clowns surround the Burger King and then like start coming in. And then that's like scary clown <laughs> night. Um, and so it was just A, a great way to take a dig at McDonald's, B, a really well done spot. And then also that they turned this random idea on WhatsApp into an entire global campaign and then won a ton of awards. But the spot, legitimately scary. Um, We would be remiss not to talk about uh, Bite Size Horror, I think is what it was called, the uh, series of horror shorts that uh, Snickers, um, 
Skittles and Starburst made. They're all owned by Mars. Uh, and so they, this was very different. Um, this was last year. They've been rerunning them this year. So some of you may recognize uh, one or two of these from maybe during the World Series. I think they might have aired mm-hmm. some. Um, but they basically made these short horror movies that are two minutes maybe. And um, at the beginning it just says brought to you by Starburst or brought to you by Snickers or whatever. And they're great. Mm-hmm. They're all great uh, and and legitimately spooky mm-hmm. and some of them I would say are legitimately scary like they I, it's some of the best horror I've seen and it, they pack it all into these tiny little clips yeah. mm-hmm. let's listen to one of them that has the most dialogue because most of them are honestly kind of dialogue free uh, there's one called The Road uh, which was the Snickers entry it's about a family that's trying that's joking around about trying to find this mysterious um, uh, ghost motorcycle Uh, So let's listen to that one, and and then I'll kind of talk through the punchline when it gets quiet. So pick you guys up in about two or three hours? Dad, don't be annoying. This is the road where the ghost of a slain motorcyclist haunts those who call to him. They say once you've been touched by his light, he stays with you. Forever. I hate this. So what are we supposed to do, just wait around here all night for a freaking light? Blink your headlights. Three times. One. Two. And three. So yeah, after the, um, you know, they, they, they blink their headlights. They see this mysterious motorcyclist come up. He crashes into their car. The car seems to kind of flip around. And then everything seems back to normal. They start to drive off, and the dad looks around the rearview mirror or turns around and sees the ghost of the or the skeleton motorcycle driver just sitting in the back seat behind them all. <laughs> and I'm sure he's scree- screeching or whatever it is dead things do in these <laughs> stories. Um, but it's like at first you're the, and part of it is it's disarming in that way the horror movies are disarming because it's like everything's happy everything's fun this isn't scary and then all of a sudden, it's like, of a sudden it's like boom yeah, and just the music <laughs> starts to turn uh, and uh and we talked a few months ago on this podcast about a piece that AT&T did not a ho- not a Halloween ad but a where a rom-com like starts or a romantic drama starts and then halfway through starts to turn into a horror movie. Hmm. It was called surprise again by, by BBDO. And, um, and that was another one where the audio is such a huge part of that Hmm. because when it transitions from like this love story and all of a sudden like the the audio slows down and gets that creepy, like (laughs) (laughs) like just that. And then everything is just, there's a little feedback in the background. It makes you realize like how important audio is for really, especially when you only have like, a minute to tell an entire right. uh, story. Doug, any other uh, fun Halloween ones from the vault you wanted to dig up? Oh man, no. I think those are those are the ones that really stand out. I mean, they're they're. I just can't think of any really offhand. I think we covered the ones that I really liked. I mean, I like Grocery Store Lady. I just think it's weird, funny, silly. I definitely very Snickers. This year's been a bit of a letdown. Uh, like I said, they've been well, rerunning some of those. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of like the farmers, uh, the life insurance stuff out of RPA. I kind of like that. I thought it was kind of clever and an interesting oh, way to talk okay. about life insurance, where you have yeah. uh, you have the jogger, the so basically the undead. You have the jogger, you have Dracula, and then you have she's a. Uh, uh, not a, a sphinx, a, mu- a mummy. A mummy, yeah. a, a mummy goes yeah. into a sphinx, Doug. Not the yes, uh, but I thought that was really well done, and and it's definitely a, 
a topic that is it's not an easy one. It's definitely not an easy category to break through. And it's in insurance. It's usually about humor. Then you take it to life insurance and it usually just turns into a list of benefits, but this was a unique way of doing it. And I thought it was done well. Yeah. Good. I totally, that one slipped my mind. Um, the, uh, let's listen to a little of one of those, uh, because yeah, I do love this premise that it's like, no one likes talking about life insurance because it means talking about death, but Hey, it's Halloween and everyone's talking about death anyway. <laughs> so let's talk about life insurance and, and they pull it off yeah. probably cause it's RPA, which is a fantastic agency. They do a lot of the work for Honda. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an ad that I don't think a lot of folks could pull off, especially this is a category that doesn't have a proud history of handling death well. Uh, thinking of the mm. dead kid nationwide Super Bowl. Oh ad. Jesus! Oh, you had to bring that up. Yeah, oh. and so it, it's uh, Kamiko. Looks like she does not remember this ad oh, again. Don't, it, don't, had you been covering advertising, yeah. I would have you, known all about it. Kamiko, don't, do don't, do 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 don't learn about it. Don't learn about it. Then no, it was you the, got it was the famous, the famously buzz killing Super Bowl ad where like. This kid's talking about all these things he wanted to accomplish, and they said, "But I can't because I'm dead because my parents forgot to I forget turn oh, up, turn off a uh, some some like didn't didn't stop the bathtub or left me alone and I, like it gets crazy oh. dark crazy now fast. you're harsh and Kamiko's mellow, David. You might want to yeah, stop. Like, like, <laughs> well, it's Halloween and we need to talk about death. Oh, uh, but so yeah, my point being, the category does not have a tremendous. Uh, background so let's listen to on the getting back to the brighter note of these dead people let's uh let's listen to one of these uh, uh one of these farmers ads i know the inevitability of death is frightening but so is worrying about what might happen to your loved ones after your mortal race is run so make this halloween the time you finally talk to farmers about life insurance they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. Still nothing. We are farmers. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a fun uh, roundup of Halloween. Keep an eye on adweek.com. Uh, we're recording this just a few days before Halloween. I have a feeling we'll still see uh, one or two more. But let's get to our discussion of the week. All right, I did want to talk, even though uh, the three of us sitting here, uh, AJ Kamiko and myself, haven't been overly involved in this Seattle project. Uh, Doug certainly has been. Doug, you're based in Portland, so not too far away. You're you're heading, I think, shortly after this, uh, maybe in the morning, you're heading up to Seattle for our event, right? Yeah, yep, the, the slog up I-5 from Portland to Seattle, but I love going to Seattle and I love that city so much. Yeah. So tell us about, um, what kind of why we picked Seattle of all the markets. So in the past we've done Atlanta, we've done Chicago twice. Um, we've done, uh, Washington DC, uh, and I'm probably forgetting one or two others. Uh, but why Seattle? Well, uh, I think because tucked in this little corner of the world, actually, it's a fairly large corner of the world, there are some truly amazing things happening up here. So you have to back up a little bit, because if you think about the impact that a city has on the world, you can go around the world and say, okay, well, this brand or this company or this person has, has an impact all around the world. If you think about some of the brands that come out of Seattle, you've got Microsoft, you've got Boeing, you've got Starbucks, you've got Expedia, uh, you've got Amazon. You know, you, you have these companies and brands that for a very long time, have had a significant impact, not just on this region, not just on this country, but the global impact is, is massive and undeniable. And I think sometimes people 
I don't want to say forget that, oh, this is a Seattle company, but there's this rich history of companies coming out of the city that uh, really, if you go through, if you go through cities around the country, you know, you'll be able to pick a few here and there. But I think in terms of overall impact, pound for pound, Seattle has had probably more of an outsized impact than other cities. And I mean, I mean most cities would be happy just to have like a Starbucks be right. from there, but to have like <laughs> Starbucks, Amazon, Microsoft, like right. These these are all mega global brands. Isn't, uh, Nordstrom. Nordstrom, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nord. What's interesting? It's a deep deep pick. Oh it's no, pick. no, but but <laughs> at the same time, if you think I'm a fashionista, if you think about it, and having <laughs> having been in retail, I know this oh, for yeah, a fact that everybody looked to Nordstrom in terms of service. Every every everybody that was in retail, like, let's do this the Nordstrom way. Let's do this the Nordstrom way. So they might not necessarily have, you know, the, the global impact, but in terms of especially related to customer service, you know, Nordstrom was Zappos before Zappos. So, you know, there, there's just so much that has happened here over the years. But now as, as the city is continuing to grow and evolve, uh, you have all of these other things that are cropping up. So of course, Bill Gates leaves Microsoft, and he and his wife Melinda have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that are, I mean, big, audacious goals, uh, trying to eradicate a lot of disease and just doing a lot of good in the world. You have the, uh, the unfortunately, late Paul Allen, who started Vulcan, and he has uh, that organization is doing a number of things philanthropic, uh, philanthropically as well. And I think that's really part of the, the DNA of Seattle, not to sound overly corporate or use a corporate word like DNA. But the thing about this city is that there is this big sense of humanity to it. And there's a sense of Seattleites about consistently doing good. Sure, you can make money, but you should be doing some good with your money as well. And there's definitely an intellectual curiosity up there. It's a bit of a transient city. There aren't as many Seattleites, uh, native uh, people from Seattle, but uh, the people that come in understand that there is a certain way of doing things in Seattle. And part of that is it's like, okay, we're going to support what it is you're doing, but this is how we do things up here. And if you can roll with that, great. If not, then you know we'll see. But what I found interesting about this list is that we did have some, uh, and this was a hard list to, to do, by, <laughs> by the way. We could have done probably a thousand. I think, David, with your experience uh, in doing this, it's hard to pick. The, you could do a thousand in every city, right? Yeah. I mean, is it, this is definitely one where just listing the names, like as we have on this discussion, like listing the names of the brands that come to mind, that'll fill a whole list. And just and then a quick Google, you'll find how many more there are. But then, of course, we want to also feature the startups and the ones the mm-hmm. the up and coming brands. The uh, you know, I, I think there's a restaurateur on this. That's one we always like to get in. Who is like the hot chef uh, in the town that you know could end up being kind of the next food celebrity. Uh, and those are usually the ones kind of shaping. Uh, there's usually like a brewery and a distillery, and and once you factor all those in, you look down and you realize. We can't put, we can't run this list. We'd have like eight hundred and fifty <laughs> right. people on it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what are what are some of the smaller uh, businesses that we included or that you learned about in this process that you wanted to talk about? Well, you did mention food, so uh, we'll throw food into like food and good life. We'll we'll call it that. So Edward Jordan, he's the chef and owner of Salar and June Baby. So June Baby is a southern restaurant that that was restaurant of the year by the James Beard Foundation. He's opening a third restaurant in November that is uh, that is going to be dedicated to 
Ancient Grains. There's going to be an Ancient Grain restaurant in Seattle, and it's probably going to be really good. Uh, we had the co-founders. It sounds filling. It, it sounds very filling. Uh, it's, <laughs> yes, probably. Uh, we have the co-founders and owners of Holy Mountain Brewing Company, so Colin Linfesti and Mike Murphy. Uh, they're just doing some very interesting things around beer. Matt Hoffman, who is a master distiller, distiller, but also the senior director of strategy at Westland Distillery. They're making a splash in that they are really focused on using the highest quality of ingredients to make single malt. So they've been winning plenty of awards around the world. And they've been causing a little bit of a stink over in Scotland, which is really entertaining. And they have some really interesting stories uh, about that as well. So you have that. You've got. You also have some of these brands that you might know of. Uh, REI being one. You know, REI is definitely another brand uh, that is big. And uh, Mishi Kasu, who's the group creative director, was recognized. And then you have others like Alaska Airlines, and they're in the midst of getting uh, the merger done with. Well, the merger is done with Virgin America, but um, it'll be interesting to find out a little bit more about how that's going. Also, uh, Allie Daniels, who's the chief marketing officer of Visit Seattle, and what I find interesting is that Visit Seattle places a great premium on, on creating content that others make. So they have a great deal of trust in allowing filmmakers to go out and share their vision of the city. They'll, they'll get a brief and then they'll come back and they really don't micromanage the process at all. They just trust that these filmmakers are going to tell their story. And uh, if you go to visit seattle.tv, uh, th- you'll see what I'm talking about because there are several campaigns that are really interesting. Um, Tina Marie Gully, so speaking of tech, uh, she runs uh, Chick Tech Seattle. And that's a national organization, but as city director, she's you know really looking to get girls and gender nonconforming youth into STEM and into tech. Um, Arif Gersell started the Pan African Center for Empowerment, or PACE. Um, what what I find interesting is he said that he, we don't have a mission statement. He said mission statements are for organizations optimistic about their plans. We view our work as our purpose for being, and there's no acceptable outcome outcome other than achievement. So the the idea is Pace is aiming to increase the visibility and success of Black engineers and tech related careers. Um, and then we have some, we have a legend in this list as well, Megan Jasper, who's the CEO of Sub Pop Records. So uh, Nirvana, Soundgarden. Those types of bands that were the Seattle Sound uh, for a number of years, especially in the 90s, she's the CEO there and quite a character. Um, and then we have the president and general manager of the Seattle Storm just won the WNBA title. And then we also have uh, the executive director of the Seattle Sounders Foundation as well. So it's a really, really interesting list. Yeah, let, let's and let's talk about too on the athletics front. You interviewed Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe, um, who uh, will tell us about them. And these are both sports that I'm I don't personally follow all that well. <laughs> right. So I'm the first to admit I, I wasn't really familiar with them, except maybe from the ESPN body issue. Um, and, and, you know, other times when they've kind of broken out into larger mainstream discussions. But right. tell, tell us about them. Okay, so Sue Bird played at UConn, uh, won a couple of national championships, uh, and then she was drafted in, I believe it was 2002, by the Seattle Storm. Megan Rapino, uh, she is currently one of the captains of the U.S. Uh, women's national soccer team. She played at the University of Portland, won a national championship here as well. And they've been dating since summer of 2017. And 
<laughs> I mean, the, we're talking about two, honestly, legendary athletes. Sue Bird has been in the city for 15 years. There's no other athlete in Seattle right now that has a longer tenure than her. I would say without question that she's probably one of the top five athletes in the history of Seattle sports writ large, male, female, no matter the sport. Uh, Megan plays for the Seattle Reign, which is uh, the women's professional team there. And they started dating uh, summer of, of 2017. And in some ways, they're, I don't want to say fire and ice. I mean, Sue is definitely a little bit more reserved, not as, uh, you know, not, not as vociferous. Uh, publicly, whereas Megan uh, has always said what's on her mind. And she began kneeling for the national anthem supporting Colin Kaepernick in 2016. She was also part of the group of soccer players who filed a federal complaint to fight for equal pay, which they eventually pushed forward. Uh, The women's national team got a 30% bump in pay and better bonuses. She's been a long advocate for LGBTQ activism. uh, And then she also works with Common Goal, which is a soccer-related charity around the world, started by one of world soccer's greatest players, Juan Mata. And uh, it's you know there there was some, there was a point there where uh, you know I, I didn't want this to be like a People magazine piece, right? So it's just like, well, tell me about this, tell me about that. I really wanted to get into the essence of of what they believed and and how Seattle really informs that. And as a, a brief sidebar, uh, Megan is actually my favorite soccer player, male or female. So I, I honestly, I, I, I was a little, I guess, nervous <laughs> talking to her, or at least the prospect of it. It you know it worked out obviously very well. Uh, and Sue is definitely a legend. So you know I was a little bit intimidated by it. But what I found very quickly is that both Sue and Megan are incredibly down to earth. They're very, very nice, and they are very appreciative of the opportunities that they've had throughout their career and their lives. And Seattle is definitely a perfect fit for them. It's a very, it's a very open city. It's one where they both feel very comfortable. Obviously, Sue's been there for much longer than Megan, um, but it was really interesting just to get a sense of their beliefs and how they, you know, how they're perceived as a couple and they get a good chuckle out of being called a power couple. They, they bristle at the thought of that. Um, but it was really, it was really enlightening and very interesting. And Seattle is definitely very lucky to have them. And, and, uh, yeah, it was really very enjoyable to talk to them. You know, one thing I really liked about that interview is when they commented on, and they seem to be striking a good balance of like, it's tough to be famous for being the gay something, you know what I mean? Right. Like to, there's, and, and they are obviously struggling with the same thing that we've seen a lot of people struggle with is like, I'd really rather be known for my accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, and like, I have a, a friend who is running for office this year and she's openly gay and it's very easy to be just called an openly gay candidate. And that's certainly kind of shorthand for, uh, you know, what people kind of think about your politics, which may or may not be accurate. But I think it's, you know, what I liked is that they make the comment in there of, you know, it's, we're just another couple. Right. But on the other hand, they do know that just by the nature of their visibility that they're helping inspire and to reflect, to be reflected to a new generation yeah. that, oh, you know, having these role models in an open relationship and proud of it uh, can can have a big impact. Kamiko, you're, you're nodding here, but anything you wanted to throw? Oh, no, there? I definitely disagree. 
I definitely agree. Definitely disagree. You did, you, definitely. You're just disagreeing with me for the sake of disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, I just, see how just, it I is. Just by, by, by I, default. I think that diversity is like it's super important, but not just like um, – and we've reported this several other times where it's just like this embracing of different for public, you know, goodness um, or what do you guys call it? Good washing? Oh, oh about right, like yes. right. faking the right. exactly. Yeah. But when you have like a you know a genuine couple here who um, can serve as a role model, but still understands you know like recognizes for us our our accomplishments, I think that's incredible. Yeah, well, and, yeah, it, and they just you know, and it, it just they kept saying it's just you know to us this is normal. It should be normal. It is normal. And right, yeah, and you know to me, I started watching Megan Rapino play in two thousand five, and it was just like. That's Megan. I mean, Megan's just a badass. And, you know, you're right. They're absolutely right. I mean, I think Sue had mentioned that, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, they'll say, all right, well, this, you know, this was great, but, you know, need more of it. And, and it should be normal. And yeah, it is normal. Absolutely. It's normal. And yeah, and they both awesome. they both are pretty explicit that Seattle is kind of a great fit for them, and that these are athletes who could play in a lot of different places. But they they know that as long as they stay in Seattle, they'll be accepted, and that they'll be in a community that supports them, uh, yeah. which kind of says a lot about how communities convey. You know, HRC, the Human Rights uh, Coalition or Committee, they they just came out with these rankings of cities based on. Uh, how accepting they are, how how accepting their policies are of of the LGBT community, and Birmingham, uh, the, the main biggest city where I live in Alabama, uh, scored a one hundred out of a hundred, uh, which is That's something awesome. I, yeah, and I don't think a lot of people know that Birmingham is a tremendously enlightened and, and a wonderful. It, it's held down by the baggage of its you know its past, uh, but it is a wonderful city and is truly um, you know a very open minded place. Uh, but every other city in Alabama scored, I think, an average of an eleven. Oof! So it just mm-hmm. goes to show. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of states where you have these kind of blue dots in in these in these states, but uh, but it also just showed how much uh, you know how much work there is to be done. These are just kind of basic policies that represent and reflect uh, LGBTQ acceptance, and uh, so it just this kind of showed to me that those things are important because you yeah. know athletes are going to not want to come. And our city has been uh, our mayor in Birmingham has been actively recruiting uh, Colin Kaepernick to come play mm. in Birmingham. We don't have a football team, <laughs> uh, so I'm not quite sure what he'd be doing. Uh, play for UAB, yeah, yeah, yeah just come coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, those jobs are probably taken too, but uh, but no, he has been like. From for the last year, the mayor has just been on Twitter saying, "Hey, hey, Colin, come, we'll work something out. <laughs> come on out here." Uh, I like. So that. anyway, well, I, I we're out of time to talk about this package, but there's so much more that we haven't even gotten a chance to talk about. I definitely encourage everyone to check out our list of the rising brand stars in Seattle that Doug worked on, uh, and uh, we've got several more articles rolling out this week in that package. We've got an event tomorrow in Seattle, so good luck to everyone and uh, safe travels up to Seattle for that, Doug. Um, Thank you. And, uh, Hopefully you'll have a nice fall fall day of driving. You know what? A bad fall day in the Pacific Northwest is just fine with me. Could care less. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you both. Uh, and uh, to Doug, it was a great conversation. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was edited by Lane McGibney with audio production by John Tejada. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek and we will be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>